Amen. Hey, if you have a Bible, would you go ahead and grab it and let's uh, turn together to Hebrews chapter 11 as we continue our sermon series through the book of Hebrews. We're going to take a look at Hebrews 11 verses 8 through 22 this morning. It's uh, on page 1284. If you're going to use one of our Bibles and kids, the word of the day will be trust. Hebrews chapter 11 verses 8 through 22. Hear now God's holy true and life-giving word. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking about the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise, promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful once again for your word and for the way that you have revealed yourself to us in your word, by your Holy Spirit, and most of all in the person and work of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray now that you would help us to see the glory of Jesus in this text. Holy Spirit, would you work in our hearts, particularly as we think of things that we know that you're calling us to do. Father, we pray that you would use this time to shape us, to soften our hearts. And we pray that you'll use it to build us up, that we might continue to seek to make disciples of our neighbors and of the nations. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I got this really exciting email this week uh, from somebody who claims to be Douglas 
apparently from the subject. I thanked him for something. And as soon as I read it, I said, well, I got to thank him again, whoever he is. Uh, if you can't read it with the small type, it says, uh, I have a business proposal for you that will benefit you. Reply to me for details. And so obviously, I was like, this is amazing. And I, I wrote back, I said, Douglas, thanks again. I want this business proposal that will benefit me. Here's my credit card number. Here's my debit card number. Here is my social security number. Here is a key to my house I will leave uh, in a secret place that you can go find. You know, I just, gave, I just, I want in. I want everything he, that this Douglas has for me. Okay, so just in case you're new and you don't, you haven't picked up on the fact that I'm totally kidding. I did not actually uh, reply me for details. Uh, I did not reply to Douglas because it was pretty clear uh, from the get-go that this is something I should probably avoid, probably a scam. Uh, and so I didn't reply to to Douglas, and hopefully you won't either. But uh, you know, you you have probably gotten an email like that before, uh, saying that they've got this great deal for you if you just want to jump in. But we don't respond to them, right? We don't respond to such emails. Why? Because, yes, something in it gives us the sense that this is not true, this is not good, this is some sort of scam. And ultimately, we believe that whatever this person is offering, it's not going to help us get where we want to be. It's not going to be something that actually benefits us. In other words, in other words, we might say that, you know, in this case, I did not believe Douglas had the ability to actually somehow shape my future in the way that I would want it to be. And so I did not respond uh, to Douglas's email. Now, here's what's interesting. You know, we're, we're walking through the book of Hebrews. We're in chapter 11 now. And we're this whole month, we're really thinking about what it means to live by faith. And what's interesting is, and ironic, is a lot of times as Christians, we treat God like I treated Douglas. In the sense that he calls us to things and we kind of just say, no, that's probably not really going to happen or not really true. And so it's just amazing to see in this passage uh, what, what God draws out and what he points our hearts towards. And, and I think we, if we recognize in us the struggle to believe God is leading us to our joy, to to flourishing. If we struggle to believe that, then we have good news in this text as we understand a little bit more about what it does mean to live by faith. Because what we're going to see here this morning is that living by faith means trusting God is able to provide a future that we desire. Okay? Living by faith means trusting that God is able to provide the future that we desire. And that uh, impacts uh, how we operate and how we live our lives. And so if you want to make an outline, we're going to talk about three things this morning. Uh, first, I want to talk about God's promise, that he promises us a future we desire. Second, we'll talk about our problem, uh, namely that nothing in this earth can actually fulfill our desires. And then third, we'll talk about God's power. He, he really is able to give us the future that we desire. So let's start in verses uh, 8 through 12. Uh, you can keep your Bibles open. Let's talk about God's promise. And what I want you to see first is that God promised Abraham things. And, and Abraham believed that God had promised him a future that he desired. Okay? And that is true for those of us who are walking by faith. God has promised us a future that we desire. Look at verse 8. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place 
that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And so here's this story that the author is referring to from back in Genesis when God calls Abraham to just go to this place that he will show him. And Abraham responds in faith. He obeys. He goes. And also we see that Sarah went with him and Sarah too believes that God has promised her things. Look at verse 11. It says, by faith, Sarah received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful had promised. One of the things that God had promised is that Abraham and Sarah would have a child. Now, they both actually laughed at that. But nonetheless, they believed it would happen and it did. And so you see both Abraham and Sarah are believing that God has promised them a future they desire. He's promised them things that they want. And then if you ask yourself, like, why did they obey? Why did Abraham obey? Why did Sarah obey? And I think we see here, look at verse 10. This is very, very powerful. Why did Abraham obey? Because, or for, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So he obeys because he wants what God is offering. He wants the life that God is giving to him. He believes that God is the one who can lead him forward and give him this future that he desires. He wanted the life that God was offering, a life designed and built by God. So he knows that God has promised these things and he believes that God's going to give these things to them. Now, think about this. Um, Winter Olympics are coming up. Okay, I know that we're excited about that. I hope we are. I love the Winter Olympics. Personally, I think Winter Olympics are more fun than summer, but that's just me. You don't have to believe that. It's not in the Bible. Um, but the, think about this. If, if, you, if you actually like the Olympics, maybe you even would like to be an Olympic athlete, maybe a gold medal winner. If somebody came to you and said, look, I can show you how I can make you a gold medal Olympic athlete. Now, the guy says that to me, and I'm saying, no, what are you, Douglas's friend? I mean, this can't happen. <laughs> but think about that for a second. If somebody legit said they could definitely do it, if you believe them, your next question is, okay, how do we start? What do I do next? Because you know that you're going to have to submit yourself to some hard work, to some discipline, probably even some pain and suffering to get ready for that life. You'd have to believe that not only is there a life that's prepared for you, but you need to be prepared for that life. And there would then be this willingness to let this other person call the shots and help you get to this future that you desire. And see, as Christians, we have to understand that the majority of what God has promised of, to us is going to happen in the new heavens and new earth. But so much of what God has promised does take place now. He wants these things for us now. And we, as Christians, we rightly focus a lot on the fact that in Christ, God gave his life for us. But it's really important that we understand that by faith, God is giving his life to us. He wants his life for us. For us to live a life like him, a life that's full. Think about this in John 10, a very 
well-known verse, John 10.10. Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so when God is calling us to trust Him, when He's calling us to obey Him, our obedience is fueled by this belief that He's giving us something. He's leading us somewhere. He's ushering us into this life that we desire. And the more that we trust and obey Him, the more we see His faithfulness, and the more we experience the flourishing that He does have for us in this life. Even though the fullness of that flourishing will come uh, at the return of Christ. But it is true and important for us to understand that the more we believe God has promised us a future we desire, uh, and the more we trust Him and obey Him, he, he leads us into that flourishing even now. Think about it this way. Um, I've done, at this point, a good amount of premarital counseling and a good amount of marid, marital counseling with uh, families in our church. And then I'm also married myself, so I know... Uh, well, I don't know much about marriage, actually. But here's something that's very interesting and, and something that I've seen. Um, oftentimes in a marriage, uh, what's, what's causing a roadblock, what's making both the husband and wife struggle, is that both people in the marriage are trying to get what they want from the other person. And their focus tends to be on getting that thing. Like, for example, in Ephesians 5... Paul talks about the importance of husbands loving their wives and wives respecting their husbands. And it, you can often see that there's this desire in a man to be respected and there's this desire in a woman to be loved and cherished. And oftentimes we get caught up trying to get that thing from the other person. I want you to love me. I want you to respect me. So God is actually calling us to trust him and to believe that we'll have a future we desire if we do things his way, by faith. And what's so powerful is, and I've seen it before, when uh, a couple chooses to die to themselves and seek to give the other person what they're looking for, both of them end up experiencing what they're hoping for. They both actually get that future that they long for. The wife feels loved. And the husband feels respected. And there is a flourishing that takes place. But it requires that we die to ourselves. It requires that we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. It requires that we believe God wants us to have a future that we desire. And then submitting to Him as the one who can show us how to have that. And when you... When we think about our desires, see, we have to recognize our problem. We have a huge problem as human beings. So let's talk about that. Look at verses 13 through 16. Our problem, which God makes very clear in the scriptures, is that nothing on earth can actually satisfy our desires, not fully and not permanently. There is nothing on earth that can fully satisfy our desires, permanently satisfy our Desires. God did not make us to be satisfied in something else that he made. He made us to find our ultimate satisfaction in him and our joy in him and our fulfillment in him. Which is why they didn't receive everything that God had promised as they walked in faith. These patriarchs we're talking about. Look at verse 13. 
It says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Now, when he says that they died in faith, he's saying that they trusted God all the way to their last breath. They died still believing, still trusting that God would deliver on the rest of his promises. They did receive some things. We know that Isaac was born. He was promised, right? So there are things that they did receive in this life, but they knew there were things that they would receive later as well. And therefore, they consider themselves strangers and exiles. You see that in verse 13? They acknowledged or confessed, you could also translate that, that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Not just away from their homeland, but on the earth. They began to see themselves as people who would never really feel truly at home until they were with God. Look at Verse 16, it says that as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. In other words, they began to see themselves as people who will only feel truly at home and feel fully satisfied when they're in the very presence of God. Which we are welcome into because of what Christ has done for us. But it, it, it calls us then to recognize that there isn't anything in this earth that can fully satisfy us. So if we are pursuing our joy and satisfaction in something other than God, it's a futile effort. It's never going to, we're not going to get there. Right? Because only God can satisfy our deepest desires. We need to see ourselves as not at home yet. Uh, C.S. Lewis captures this pretty good in his book, Mere Christianity. He says this, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy... The only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And that's the thing. We are. We're made to be in the presence of God. And therefore, he calls us to trust him. And he will lead us to a measure of that flourishing now. Ultimately, uh, the fullness of it will come. But if you think about that, I mean, think about how your life changes once you become convinced that you know where you will find joy and satisfaction. Well, you, you go there, right? You pursue that. Do you know, do you know what, a, um, what a Bitcoin loser is? So um, in recent weeks, Bitcoin, which is this online currency, um, it has become incredibly valuable, basically overnight. And lots of people who years and years ago, when it was invented, had bought up a bunch of it. Um, they, they, they have it, and, and they're really they're millionaires overnight. Okay? And therefore, as Bitcoin has become so valuable, like $10,000, $11,000 per coin, okay? what's happened is all these people who remember, wait, I have some Bitcoin. Didn't I buy some Bitcoin in 2009 or something like that? All of the people go looking for it. And some are finding it, and they became millionaires overnight. Others are what's called a Bitcoin loser. Uh, they haven't, they didn't find it. So I heard the story of this one guy named James Howell. James Howell uh, realized that he had about $7 million worth of Bitcoin on an old hard drive. The only problem is, old Jimmy threw that hard drive out a few years ago. So what he did is he went to the waste management company that takes his garbage and says, where do you dump it? And they told him the landfill in which garbage from his neighborhood is dumped. And he went looking. 
Okay, I don't know how long he looked, if it was days or weeks or months, or if he's still there. James, good luck, buddy. But think about that. Here's a guy who knows there's something tremendously valuable, and he has a vague idea of where it is, at least. So he goes after it. And God reveals in his word that he is of ultimate value. And that as we seek him, he rewards that. As we believe he exists and we seek him, he rewards us with himself, with his life. Look back at Hebrews 11.6, which we touched on briefly last week, but it helps us understand what's happening here. In chapter 11, verse 6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so what God is revealing to us is as we pursue him, as we see him as the true source of fulfillment and joy, he rewards that. And we experience that fullness and that flourishing even in this life. And therefore, if we if we believe that, then we pursue him, right? And we find in his word and in his law things that, that give us great joy over time as we learn to apply them. Think about this. In Psalm 119, uh, verses 97 through 99, you've got a guy who just loves God's word. And here's one thing he says. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. He's just going on and on about how having sought God, having pursued God, he's experiencing this joy and flourishing in his life. Now, here's what stings, okay? And it stings me as much as it stings you. It's really, if we look at this, then I think from the right perspective, we see that the amount which we actually believe pursuing God will lead to our joy is in direct proportion to the amount of time and energy we actually put into pursuing God in his word, in worship, in prayer. And I, I mean, I read this and I think, man, I want to spend so much more of my time Going where God has revealed the treasure is in himself. And knowing more and more in his word. Trusting that he will bring the joy. He will give me the satisfaction my heart longs for. Because nothing in this earth will. And so really it's, it's understanding that God is rescuing us. By calling us to obey him, by calling us to know him, by calling us to consider ourselves strangers and aliens, he's rescuing us from these futile pursuits of trying to get our joy and satisfaction from things that can't do it. Okay. Now, so let's, if we add these things up, then if we begin to see that God really has promised us a future we desire, both now and in the new heavens and new earth, and if we see that nothing on earth can satisfy us here, the third thing that we see in this passage is the power of God. Okay, so let's talk about his power. Look at verses 17 through 22. And what we have to recognize is that God is powerful enough to shape the future that we desire through our trust and obedience. As we trust him, as we obey him, we can trust that he's powerful enough to be shaping the future in the way that we desire. Look at 17. 
It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So if you're not familiar with that story, it's in Genesis 22. And Abraham has received something that he was promised. He's received his son, Isaac. And now God calls him, tests him, it says, to see his trust. And he calls him to sacrifice, to kill his one and only son. And, you know, you can, I don't even think we can begin to um, think or even uh, begin to ponder the, the difficulty of even imagining taking your only son and killing him. But Abraham does it. And, well, he, he, you know, God stops him just short of it. But he, in Abraham's mind, he's going. He's going to do it. He believes that he's, he can obey God and there will still be a future that he desires. Why? Look at verse 19. Here's the key. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. In other words, the reason that Abraham was able to take this huge step of faith is he believed that God was still able to shape the future that he desired, even if he did it. And he assumed, well, he must be planning to raise him from the dead. That word able uh, is the word... Uh, dunamai, or from the root dunamis, which is where we get our word dynamite. So it's dynamite, you know, you think of power, right? And what's huge is, you know, again, Abraham was stopped. Uh, Abraham's about to plunge this knife down into his son. Angel cries out, says, no, don't do it. And God provides a ram in the bush. But Abraham was able to do this because he believed that God could still shape his future. He believed that he would even raise him from the dead. And what we have to recognize is um, Abraham was not looking at his own strength or his own ability. He was resting firmly on God's ability, that God is able to shape my future in a way that I desire. And this is huge. This is such a big thing. Like when we feel like God is calling us to something, uh, maybe when we feel like God is calling us to confess something and repent of it, or maybe when we feel like God is calling us to make a really hard decision, if we look at ourselves for the strength to do it, you're sunk. But if we look at the power of God to shape our future in a way that we desire as we seek to obey him, trust him and obey him, then we're able to move forward forward right we need to be thinking about the power of god to shape a future whose maker and builder is god whose designer and builder is god we have to look at his power his strength um so it's it's ice fishing season in minnesota and if you've never gone ice fishing you don't really need to but um there's something that's funny about ice fishing, especially when someone goes for the first time, especially if that person has never really walked on a frozen lake. And you can always tell who's new. 
because there's this interesting phenomenon where the farther they get from the ground, the solid ground, out onto the water, the farther they get away from the shore, the lower they get on the ice. And they become sort of terrified because they don't think the ice is going to be strong enough. They don't believe the ice is shaping a future that they desire. And so they get really, really, really low. And sometimes, sometimes they're like laid, spread eagle, laying on the ground, unable to move because they're so afraid. And then a guy drives by in his big four-wheel drive truck. And pretty soon they're able to get up and dust themselves off and hope nobody was looking. They become comfortable. They become able uh, once they realize the ice is strong enough. And once they realize they can trust in the strength of the ice to hold them up. And what God is calling to us and saying is that as we believe him and as we trust him, he is strong enough, powerful enough to shape a future that we desire. In fact, that's what he is doing as we trust him and as we obey him. And the proof is right here. I love this because, you know, if, if we're going to believe in the power of God, now where do we look to see the power of God? What's the ultimate picture of the power of God? And it's foreshadowed here. You know, think about in Genesis, uh, Abraham is called to sacrifice to kill his son, but God stops him. And that is a foreshadowing of the true and better Isaac, the true and better son who is offered up as a sacrifice, but the knife is not withheld. God, the good news of the gospel is that God sacrificed his one and only son and went through with it and brought his wrath down upon him so that our sin could be paid for. So that through faith, we can be reconciled to him, forgiven, declared righteous. But then that's not where the story ends, right? Jesus is then raised from the dead. Not only to prove that what he's done, God has accepted on our behalf, but also to be a beautiful demonstration of the power of God. And so the key to... Trusting God is powerful enough to shape the future in the way I desire as I trust him and obey him is the resurrection itself. And as we believe Jesus really was raised from the dead, we see that God is powerful enough and that gives us strength to move forward in faith and obey him, obey him, knowing that through that obedience, he's shaping a future that we desire. So think, let me... I think, I, well, I know God feeds his sheep. He calls out to his people. And, and I know that when his word goes out, it, it, it always accomplishes the purpose for which he sent it. And I, and I believe many of us, if not all of us, know of areas that we are being called by God to trust him more, to pursue greater Levels of obedience. And I hope, I I think that what we can do together today then is to look at the resurrection of Christ and the power of God to shape a future that we desire 
to help us move forward and take a next step in obedience. And if you know what God is laying on your heart, if you know what he's calling you to do, number one, don't do it alone. You should get uh, connect with a, a good, trusted Christian friend who can help you with accountability. Uh, make sure we're relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. But then these three things. Believe that God has promised you a future that you desire. Not only in the new heavens and new earth, but even now. Believe that he's rescuing you from pursuing something that can't fulfill your desires. And believe that the resurrection of Jesus is the proof that God is able, he's powerful enough to shape a future that we desire. And then we go. We obey. And we see his faithfulness and we taste that flourishing. And he's glorified. Let's pray. Father, would you help each of us to trust you? To look forward to the things that you've promised, both in this life and in the next. To believe the ice is thick enough. To believe you have the power to shape a future we desire. And that you've called us to the things that will be involved in that coming about. By your grace. Through faith. And as we step forward in faith, meet us there, empower us there that we might see your faithfulness and be filled with joy that we want to tell our neighbors and the nations about. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.